Tonight's share is really a very important share. Um, there's going to be a, a lot of new ideas that people have never heard of before. And the theme of tonight's share is, <clears throat> where is God? And I'm going to dramatize that concept by the Nach uh, Shoftim, okay? And in, in Perik 6, uh, in Pasuk 13, is the story of one of the greatest miracles ever known. And that story... And basically, what, what happened was, <coughs> is that God said that, uh, the Nach says, that the Jews sinned, they did what was not right in the eyes of God, and the Rabbanisham therefore allowed the Midianites, Midian, to afflict the Jews for seven years. <coughs> That's what happened. Finally, after seven years, the Rabbanisham decided that it's enough, and he's going to send a savior to the Jewish people. Okay, so he picked a person named Gidon. That's who the person is. And God selected him to be the savior. And what happened was, is that God sent an angel, a malach, right? And he talked to Gidon. Imagine being talked to by a malach. So um, the Malach talked to, he appeared to Gidon, and he said, Hashem is with you, almighty Hiram, translating, that Hashem is with you, which means that he is behind you, he's supporting you. Now, so Gidon, Gidon says to him, um, wait a minute, um, and he, Gidon voiced an idea which has probably been voiced hundreds of millions of times throughout the, uh, throughout the history of the Jewish people. In other words, what, uh, God sent the, the, the Malach to tell Gidon that he's sending Gidon to save the Jews from the Midianites. So what Gidon does, it's, it's, a, it's a whole story which is really very beautiful. So Gidon said to him, and I'm going to translate I beg you, my Lord, he's talking to the Malach, and uh, that, uh, like I said, the Malach said to him, God is with you. Okay, so Gideon says, I beg you, my Lord, if Hashem is with us, why has all this happened to us? You know, it's, if you're saying that God is with us, then why are we being afflicted for seven years by the Midianites, and not only by them, by the Amalekites, you know, they come and they steal all the crops, right? And they kill, they destroy. Like, what do you mean? Why is this happening to us? According to you, the Ramanism is really with us. And then he continues, Gidon says, And where are all his wonders of which our forefathers told us? Right? Saying, Behold, Hashem brought us out from Egypt. So not only where is he, our, our, I mean, they said, our forefathers told us, right, that <clears throat> the Rabbanishnam brought us out of Egypt, which means that God interacted, right? He interceded. 
to stop the tremendous persecutions of the Jews. That's not happening. And then Gidon says something which is really uh, uh, an incredible comment. Of course, obviously, God, what he's hinting at is God is not with us. He's not doing us. So he says, Gidon, for now, Hashem has deserted us, right? He has abandoned us, and he has delivered us into the grip of Midian. This is what Gidon says. It was what Gidon is saying, which is basically what everybody feels. It seems that the Rosham is not with us. On the contrary, he has abandoned and deserted the Jewish people. That's what Gidon says. So he's challenging the Malach, right, to, uh, to answer. And then the, uh, the Rosham turns to him and says, you know, go with the strength of yours and you shall save Israel from the grip of Midian. Behold, I have sent you. Okay. In any case, this is what Gideon says, you see. And ultimately what the Rav does, there's about 135,000 Midianites and Malachites, Amalek. That's how big the army of the other side is. Right? And they're on the east of Israel. Now, Gidon put together, so Gidon gathers, based on the, the message, message of, of the, the Malach to Gidon, so he gathers an army of 30, I think it's 32,000 people, or, you know, warriors, to fight against Midianites. But the Midianites is 135,000 people. Now, it's possible that the army of Gidon may win, but it's highly unlikely. I mean, 32,000 people, isn't, it's highly unlikely that they will win a, a war, a battle, against 135,000 people. But the Rebunsham does something else. He says, well, that's too many people. I'm going to perform a miracle that hardly has ever been seen. So somehow he reduces the army of Gidon to 300 warriors. That's it. And the Bansham performs a miracle where 300 warriors destroy the armies of Midian and Amalek, the 135,000 people, which is an unheard of victory. It, it's truly unheard of. Probably never happened before. So if you want to look it up, you can look it up in Shoftim, Perak Sheish 6, Pusik 13. That's basically where it starts. Anyway, what I'm trying to bring out is Gidon says what so many people have thought. Where is God? You know, you take a look, and this is the question I want to answer. And the, the answer to this in many ways is astounding. And that's what I want to really actually reveal tonight. So, we, but it's not only Gidon. We find this is true. For instance, God, the Ramashim says in the end of Dvarim, and on that day, which is Achras Hayomim, I will surely hide my face. Now the question is, okay, what that means is, and Rashi says, that it looks like God abandoned the Jews, but not really. It's like God is looking from behind you know, the cracks and a fence. You see, so it looks like he's ab abandoned the Jews. But the question is, 
Why? Why does the Bershama have to hide, or certainly appear to, to hide, at the end of days? I mean, what is this? It's not revenge. God doesn't take revenge. You know, is it retribution? No. So why does Bershama create a scenario where he's gone, or it looks like he's gone, in the end of days? What does that serve? On the contrary, you would say that on the contrary, he should, he should be present obviously present, so the Jews can somehow, you know, strengthen themselves and remain religious and so on. And besides that, there's a pasuk in the Torah that says, It's a famous pasuk. And the Torah will not be forgotten from the seed. Here what the Barsham is doing is promising that no matter what happens to the Jews, the galut, golus, you see, and the Jews, you know, they throw off the yoke of mitzvot and so on. But the, the Rebbe guarantees that they will never, Torah will never be forgotten from the Jewish people. Now, what is, it, what is interesting is that the Rebbe seems to be saying that no matter how much the Jews wander, right, and leave the, the, the Torah and so on, in the end, the Torah will not be forgotten. But if you think about it, uh, in order for that to be fulfilled, all you need is one Jew that remembers the Torah, even if everybody else forgot it. And that fulfills the prophecy of the Torah will never be forgotten from his seed. Now, what that means, which is, uh, when you think about it, it's really incredible. That Pasuk is not saying that even if the Jews leave, right? Uh, however, the Torah will not be forgotten completely. No. What that passage is really saying is in a vua, that what? That in the end of time, right, the environment will be that the Torah will never be forgotten. Because even though almost everybody has forgotten the Torah, God guarantees that it will not be completely forgotten in the end of time. Because the Rabboni Shalom has created a situation that the Torah is almost all forgotten. Not totally but almost all forgotten. So here again we see the concept of concealment of the divine presence. Why would the Bershom do that? <clears throat> you know, why is it that as we approach the Messianic era, the end of time, right, it has to be, right, where the Torah is almost all forgotten. And that's the Bershom's requirement, even if it means that the Jews brought it about. And now you take a look at today, the situation, you know, <clears throat> the statistic is frightening. One statistic is that of all the non-Orthodox uh, Jews, I think in the United States, the intermarriage rate is 7 out of 10. 70% of the non-Orthodox Jew intermarry. I mean, that's incredible. What's happening to America? 70% of the Jewish people intermarry in America, you see. Now, even in Eretz Israel, the tremendous amount of Jews, even if many Jews are traditional, but most Jews in Eretz Israel do not observe the Torah completely in any, any shape or form. And then I, I saw a statistic, I think it's a Pew uh, result, where it said they took a, a, a poll of people who were Orthodox and who are not 
Orthodox now that 29% of people who as children were Orthodox, as adults, they dropped the Orthodoxy. 29%. That means almost one-third of people today that were Orthodox, right, are no longer Orthodox as adults. I mean, this is horrendous, you see. And then you take a look at what's going on, you know, in America between the Reformed, the Conservative, Reconstructionist, right? Then you look at the rest of the world. Most Jews are gone in the rest of the world. Then you take a look at uh, Eretz Israel, the Erev Rav. They are trying to destroy Judaism. In fact, they say it's one of the worst attempts to destroy the Jewish character of the state. I mean, they're already changing the laws with Kashrus. They want to change the law with laws of marriage, divorce, conversion. There's a whole battle going on uh, in terms of conversion. They want to, in many ways, suspend Shabbos for many cities. And then you have the draft. I mean, it's just absolutely incredible what is happening in Eretz Israel. Uh, it's a war against Judaism. And then you take a look at the rest of the world, how there's a tremendous amount of anti-Semitism right? And especially in American academia, it's incredible, goes on in the college campuses, you know, <clears throat> and the present party, the Democrats and so on, are very much anti-religious, anti-religion altogether, you see? And then you look at the enormous amount of crime that's proliferated, defund the police and so on. So when you think about it, you look around and you say to yourself, where's God? Whatever happened to the Rabban Shalom? In fact, there's a statement that says, less din, the less dayan. There's no justice, and there's no judge. That's what it looks. That the Rabban has picked himself up and completely abandoned the earth and abandoned the Jewish people. Now the question is, why is this necessary before the Mashiach comes? You know, why is this unbelievable darkness? That is the question, you see. So I want to answer that question. Why this has to be. In other words, that there must be darkness before the Mashiach. And that is the only way Mashiach can ever come. It's a whole different understanding of what the darkness does, you see. And that's what I want to talk about. Now, <clears throat> Therefore, there are certain ideas that you must understand, which I've spoken about previously, but I'm going to show you their relevance to answer this question. Where is the Rabbanu Shalom? And why is this darkness necessary? Okay, now the first concept that you must understand is the basic principle that the entire operation of the universe or all creation is based on, it's called din, justice. What is that? <clears throat> well, the Russian decided, and we don't, know, we, don't, we don't realize really how absolute that is, is that justice is what rules the world. In other words, the Russian says that in order to get Oinam Habo, you need to deserve it. You need to have earned it, or you need to have caused it and be responsible for it. And that is the Oilam Habo that you will get. This is the ultimate law of the universe that the Rabban 
based the whole creation on. Very important idea. In fact, there's a Chazal in the Gemara that says, Anybody who says that the Bansham is a Vatron, Vatron means he overlooks. And he says, well, you know, okay, so you don't deserve. I'll give you Oilam Habo anyway. Is Yavatrishanoisov. Let his years be overlooked. Okay, you really deserve to live a hundred, but you're only going to live for 50 years. Because what's the difference anyway? Nothing is exact. That is wrong. So what we now understand is that the world is judged in an absolute way with the concept of din, justice, which is really cause and effect. In other words, everything that happens to you or everything that happens to the Jewish people is because they caused it at some level. You see, nothing happens by chance, except we don't understand how many different ways justice is done. But it's astounding how accurate it is. That is a very important idea. That din, or cause and effect, or justice, is the, the supreme law of the universe. It's almost as absolute, right, as gravity. It always works. Gravity is never suspended, you see. So that is an important idea. That's the first idea. God does not give up on justice. The second important idea, okay, is that there is a concept called rachamim, or mercy, or compassion. What that means is that what the Bonshma has done is he suspends justice, not permanently, but at times for the betterment or for the fact that God has to suspend justice in order for the survival of the human race. But that doesn't mean he suspends justice totally. In the end, it has to come back to justice. The only thing is at the present time, he could suspend it and allow it not to operate. But ultimately, it must uh, happen, you see. Now, we don't understand how that works because it has almost an infinite amount of possibilities. But Rachmim is a suspension of justice on a temporary basis. It does not end because it's Rachmim. Ultimately, justice will come back and rule, because that's the way he created the world. Now, we know why. I once gave a share on this. It's the concept of Nahamadik Sufa, which means bread of shame. So you can go back to that shear and understand what is Nahamadik Sufa, the bread of shame. You see? That you can't get something for nothing. You have to have earned it, caused it. And that's really what Din is. Now, we also know that <clears throat> when the Jews are in a situation that they don't deserve Ilm Habo, right? That there is a concept called Hanhogasayichud. And I once mentioned this, which is very very important, when I talked in on Rashi on Rosh Hashanah. Now what Hanhogasayichud is is a guarantee that the Jews will be in Ilm Habo in the future world. <clears throat> now, it would therefore assume, or seem, right, that, wait a minute, wait a minute how can you guarantee that there'll be an Oilam Habo? 
Maybe they won't deserve it, you see. But there is a anhoga. Anhoga is a series of actions that is designed to guarantee that the Jewish people, as a people, and also as individuals, will get the future world. Now, the way it works is mysterious, you see, how it works. Uh, in fact, it's probably one of the greatest mysteries of all. How can God guarantee that a person gets the future world, right? And, be, and that it should be within the, uh, the uh, profiles of din, of justice. You see, it would seem that God has to overlook justice in order to give a person the future world if he doesn't deserve it. But somehow the Rebbeinu operates that way. So Hanukkah Sayyichud seems to counteract justice, right? But, but uh, uh, that's what it seems to be. But what I'm saying is very important. Even Hanukkah Sayyichud must conform to din, to justice. So at the end of time, when basically the world will be in the level of Memtesh Shari Tumah, and that's exactly the 49 levels of contamination or defilement. And we are in that now, which I've spoken many times, right? There has to be, in order for the Jews to survive the 49 levels of evil, 49 levels of uh, Tumah, I should say, right? As a result of that, right, uh, well, this is the last climate of, uh, the, uh, of the end of time. So, the Rabbanishim has to activate the Anah You see? Because they don't, the Jews don't deserve it. Right? So therefore, in some way, he has to activate this Hanhoga, these series of actions that are mysterious, that guarantee the Jewish people, right, survival into the future world. Now, I mentioned, right, that Hanhoga Sayyichud, these series of actions, that guarantees Jewish survival in the future world, I mentioned, right, that it happens, that it seems to contradict judgment. It seems to be a freebie, but it's not. What is important to understand is even to activate that series of actions, you see, must be based on judgment, din, cause and effect. Now, this Anagasayichud means the following, that even if the Jews sin, where they introduce the level of tumor, of uh, defilement, the environment, of corruption, and depravity, and so on, at the 49th level, um, even if they introduce that level, right, they have to deserve redemption. And that redemption is rehabilitation. Justice doesn't say if a person sins that he should be rehabilitated. Justice says, well, if you did the right thing, fine, you survive. If you do the wrong thing, it's over, you're dead, because you didn't make it. Nowhere does it say that justice doesn't say, we know that. No, it doesn't say anywhere that God has to rehabilitate you, or he has to guarantee you that you're in Oilem doesn't say that anywhere. So therefore, the Anogas these those series of actions, what it does is interesting. You see, it really rehabilitates the Jews, but in a way which we do not understand. 
And that's how it guarantees that the Jews will survive. In other words, God becomes the healer, not merely the judge. And that's why it works, you see. But I mentioned that it looks like it opposes justice, but really it doesn't. And that's what the idea is, which we will now see. That even the Anogas HaYichud, even the rehabilitation of the Jewish people, even though they are on the 49th level of defilement, demands justice. How? Where do we see that? Well, we see that by the Akedah. The Akedah is a very mysterious event. The binding of Yitzchok. When God commanded Avram Avinu to do what? To bring Yitzchok, right? To put him up on an altar and kill him. That's what he says. Bring him up as a burnt offering. Now, we have several questions on that. One, what exactly is the test of Romavino? Wherein was the difficulty to do this? The essential difficulty. The second, why was it given to Avramavino? And the third idea is that, why the last test? Because we know that this was the last test. In any case, Avramavino was, was uh, suffered through these following ideas. Each one was an incredible test. It just shows you how the difficulty Akedah was. Remember, it's not a test of what you would do. It's a test of what Avram Avinu did based on his understanding of God's command. So, here's what Avram Avinu had to reckon with. One, how could God command a human to kill another human that's undeserving? Yitzchak didn't do anything to deserve death. So why would God do that? Just to test Avram Avinu? Therefore Yitzchak has to die? That doesn't make any sense. So that's the first idea. Second idea is that this is against the midah of chesed, of a god. God is, is the infinite Baal Chesed. People who are giving kindness, they don't command other people to kill other people. It's the opposite of Chesed, kindness. It's cruelty, unbelievable cruelty and evil. Third test or idea is Avramavinu, right, is the epitome of Chesed. This is completely contrary to his nature. So he's got to fight his own nature. That's number three, right? Number four, not only that, but Yitzchak is his son. People don't kill their children, right? So, and that's what he's being commanded to do. Next idea, right? I think it's the fifth idea, whatever. Next idea is that Yitzchak is a Jew, it's not only that he's some type of, you know, a nation of the world, but he's the, what God said, right? He's a Jewish person. And not only that, right? He's the last Jew. If Yitzchak dies, that's the end of the Jews. Because Avram Avinu is too old to have another child. So if Yitzchak is killed, that's the last Jew. Now all of these things, 
confronted Avram Avinu. But this, I believe, is the worst. Because the Rabbi did what? He said, Ki In Yitzchok, right, will seed be named. In other words, the continuity of the Jewish people is through Yitzchok Avinu, as opposed to Yishmuel and so on. Ki for in Yitzchok, descendants will, will uh, be named. But wait a minute. How could God command Avram Avinu to kill Yitzchak and have a continuity of the Jewish people? It's impossible, right? Because if Yitzchak is killed, that's the last Jew. There's no more Jews. Yet God's commanding Yitzchak to be killed. So what we're seeing here is an impossibility, you see. In other words, it looks like God is appearing to Avram Avinu as completely irrational, anti-logic. It doesn't make any sense. It's a contradiction in and of itself, right? Yitzhak cannot be the individual that continues the line of Jews and be dead at the same time, right? So therefore, how can God do this? That's what faced Avram Avinu, this completely irrational impossibility of God's command. <clears throat> Now, Avram Avinu had to do it, or maybe not do it. And that was his test. Tremendous Nisoyen. But the greatest Nisoyen, as I just said, was the irrationality that God appeared to him. You see, God appeared to him as irrational. So, how do you make that, how does it make sense? So he had no answer. He didn't know that God didn't say, kill Yitzchak. He said, bring him up as an oiler. But, you, but, you know, and some, then Yitzchak will not die. You only bring him up. So God never said, slaughter him as an oiler. But Avram didn't know that. As far as Avram knew, he was commanded to kill Yitzchak. And since he didn't know what the real answer, this was a, an appearance by God of being irrational. And since Avraham Avinu was an incredibly brilliant thinker, then this would be the most disturbing thing of all, you see. Now, this is what the Akedah really is. God is appearing to me irrational. It makes no sense. How can you issue a command, a prophecy, to kill Yitzhak, and at the same time say that I will have descendants, Jewish people, through Yitzchok. And that's what he had to contend with. What happened, of course, is Avraham Avinu said, I have no idea what's going on. I don't even begin to understand the ultimate meaning of this, or how it's possible logically. All I know is one thing. As far as God is concerned, he exists, and I will obey what he asks. Even if to me, it makes no sense, and the logic is irre irreconcilable, you see. So we have to ask a question. Why did God do this? Why does God appear to Avraham Avinu as an irrational deity? That's the question. And the answer to that is a tremendous concept 
and it's brought down in the Rashi based on the Gemara, in the, in the Psukim of the Akedah. And this Rashi is the secret to why this commandment was given. And it's also the answer as to why before the Mashiach comes, God has to appear irrational, abandoned. God has to appear as if he abandoned the Jewish people, which is irrational. It doesn't make sense. Because we know that God wants the Jews to survive. Yet not only is he nowhere to be found, but he seems to be aiding and abetting evil, as I pointed out. There is so much incredible amount of evil in the world that God seems to be supporting, aiding and abetting. So not only has he abandoned the Jews, he is siding with evil. That's what we see. So how do we understand this? And we will now understand something very important. Let's take a look at what Rashi says. Okay. Amalek says to Avraham Avinu, stop, don't kill him, don't touch him, don't kill him. And God says, ki yodati, because now I know, right, that you are a Yireel Akim. You fear God. That's what God says, you know. So that's very hard to understand. What do you mean now I know? I mean, God didn't know that Avraham Avinu feared God. Why only now? Right? And the idea is that that's not what God really said. So here's what Rashi says. Very important idea. Ki daddy, for now I know, this is God speaking, that you are a God-fearing person. Me ato, from now, yeshli ma lehoshev lesotn uleumus. I now, right, I now have an answer to the sotn, to the Satan, and the nations of the world, hatameim, that wonder, mahi chibosi etzlecho, why do I love you? The nations of the world, what they say is, we don't understand. Why are you so infatuated? Why do you love the Jews so much? You see, this is what they ask. Because in the end, the Jews themselves, in many ways, desert you. So what is inc- this incredible love that you have for them? You see? So God says, you're dati, and now I know, because now I have an answer. I now have an answer to the sotan, which means I now have an answer to judgment, that they see that you fear God. What does this mean? And this is a Gemara. It's also a Yalkut It's a Medrash. What does this mean? This Rashi is bringing down a Gemara that is the answer to the secret of why God has to appear irrational in the end of time. And all the things I've quoted, this is the reason. Think about it. <clears throat> the Sutton gets up and says, wait a minute, you know, why do you love them so much? What do you mean, why do you love them so much? Where do you see this? Because the Sutton says, no matter what they do, you're going to guarantee their existence in the future world. Even though they don't, they don't deserve it. They don't deserve through judgment, to survive, or to get Olim Habo, yet you've instituted a, a, a Hanhoga, a series of actions, which is called Hanhoga Sayyichud, as I mentioned, 
that guarantees their survival. Well, that clearly indicates your incredible love for these people because you refuse to be without them. So if that's the case, right, why? What does that mean? Because the world, the Sutton is saying, and he's right, the world is created through justice. Din, that's the cardinal supreme principle of existence. You either deserve to live or you don't, and therefore you don't live. But yet you are displaying a behavior which is a guarantee that they will survive, right? Even if they don't deserve it. And that can only be because you love them. But wait a minute. Your ability to do that, to save them no matter what they do, right, does not follow justice. And the job of the Sutton is to defend justice. So God can't just dismiss the Sutton and say, get lost. He created the Malach in order to support, right, justice. So that's what the Sutton does. He brings, he sues God in court, so to speak. And he says, you can't do that. You cannot have Hanogah Sayyichot, right? Because that is not just. And you created the universe through the laws of justice. So how could you do this? And now we understand something very profound. So God says, now Avram Avino, right? The fact that he brought Yitzchak to be slaughtered shows that he fears God. What's God saying? God is saying, I now have an answer as to why the Jews deserve the guaranteed actions, because of justice, you see. In other words, in a judicial court, I can defend the actions. So it doesn't veer away from justice. On the contrary, I can only do the Anogasayichud. Why? Through justice. So therefore he has an answer to the Sutton when the Sutton sort of sues him in court. And as a result of that, God can save the Jews. But what is the answer? God says the following. They refuse to abandon me. What does that mean? Avraham Avinu, he sees I come across as irrational. In his view, he cannot understand what I just commanded. Right? He sees that. Look, like I said, in his view, it's irrational. So you would think that if God does something which is completely illogical, that Avraham Avinu should abandon God. And he said, listen, I'm not going to worship a deity, right? That doesn't make any sense. Not only that, it's mutually exclusive. It's impossible for this to be a prophecy, you see. So there's something wrong with God's command, or there's something wrong with God, or I'm worshiping the wrong deity, right? Many people would say that, because they go contrary to logic. But Avraham Avinu doesn't say that. He refuses to abandon God. So God looks at the Sutton and says, if he does not abandon me, even though I come across as completely illogical, right? How can I abandon him? Therefore, justice says you can't. So even if he does not deserve the future world, he will get it. Because just like he will not abandon me, even though, he, uh, right, even though I come across as irrational, I cannot abandon him. That's midah connected midah, measure for measure. So it comes out that the Akeda, right, allows God to have an argument in court that 
because of justice itself, I can now save the Jewish people. It's an incredible concept when you think about that. First of all, that God needs a justification to be able to save the Jews no matter what they do, which is true, because God created the universe with the supreme law of measure for measure. And that God needs a justification. And the Akedah provided it to God because he demonstrated that this Jew, Avram Avinu, is not going to abandon me. So therefore, justice demands that you cannot abandon him, no matter how bad. So this provided God with a plea, an argument in court, how God could save the Jewish people no matter what they do, no matter what level of Tumor they arrive at, right? No matter what, I will save them. So what Avram Avinu did, and that's why you have the Akedah, to provide God with the justification through din, justice, you see, to save the Jewish people. Especially because God appeared as irrational. So therefore, everybody would have abandoned God, right? You can't worship a God that is completely irrational, right? But Avram Avinu didn't do that. So what we see is a very important concept. The reason why the Akedah happened right, is to provide God with an argument against the Satan, right, in order to save the Jews. This is what justifies the Anagas HaYichud, because that's what the Jews have provided. Now, what does that mean? Therefore, in the end of time, that's why the Akedah is the last, um, the, the Akedah is the last test of Avram, because this is exactly what will happen in the end of time where the Jews will have created a climate of total corruption, memteshari tumma, right? Total uh, depravity and so on. I mean, we're talking about 12 million Jews that are gone and so on. And how many Jews are warring and fighting religious people because they want to destroy Judaism? What is this? So therefore, the Satan is saying, if they're doing this, what do you want? You can't save these people. Because you yourself said that the world goes on justice. So the justice is, is that they be, should be destroyed, not saved. So God, therefore, does an incredible thing. He creates a climate which is completely irrational, right? This is what he does. And therefore, God says, I want to show you, and he talks to Sutton, that they will not abandon me even though I come across as irrational. And that is why you find that before the Messianic era, it looks like God has abandoned the Jews to provide an irrational environment so that if the Jews hold on, and it doesn't have to be all the Jews, then that will be the argument of justice why God will activate the guarantee actions, the Anogasayichot. And that is why you find the rationality always before the end. Let's take a look. Okay? Moshe Rabbeinu, right? He is sent to go to Egypt to redeem the Jews. Fine, right? Because they are in the Memteshari Tumah. They are in the 49 levels of Tumah, defilement, right? And therefore I mentioned God presses the restart button to save the Jews, right? And he brings the Mashiach. <clears throat> but the Sultan is screaming, wait a minute. They don't deserve this. 
you know, you don't have to, you know, uh, do something to save them. That we know that God says, no, I can save them, and I will. Why? Because they have not abandoned me, you see. What is the rationality? Because how is it possible after Moshe Rabbeinu comes, it gets much worse that Paroi makes Xera the decree of straw. That's mutually exclusive. It's impossible. How could God send the Messiah and right after that make it much worse? This isn't a redemption, right? This is a charade. Why did God do that? Because he needs to appear irrational. So when the Jews don't abandon him and they say, we don't care if none of this makes sense, right? We still believe that God is going to redeem us. You see? Then God says to the Satan, therefore, I can activate the actions of the Anogas HaYichud. In other words, God needs a judicial support, a legal argument to win. That's why Paroi made this straw right after he sent Moshe. Now, we also have, let's say, by the Yamsuf, by the splitting of the Red Sea, right? Which is also irrational. I mean, here the Jews are right at the, they, they, they are almost out of Egypt, right? And all of a sudden, there are hundreds and hundreds of the best chariots in Egypt. And obviously, they're very good. They could have wiped out who knows how many Jews, right? So all of a sudden, uh, the, the Jews say to Moshe Rabbeinu, what's going on here? This is irrational. God saves us by the Makas, and now he's going to allow us to be slaughtered by the Egyptians? This makes no sense. This is completely contrary to what God did, you see. Uh, so Moshe Rabbeinu says, don't worry, you know. Even though God appears irrational, because how in the world can you allow the Egyptians to slaughter the Jews at the same time as trying to save the Jewish people by giving the Egyptians the plagues, right? Uh, so Moshe Rabbeinu says, hold on, have faith. Don't abandon God. And therefore, he can use that argument where he will not abandon you against the Satan, who is screaming at the top of his lungs, his angelic lungs, right? He's screaming there, how could you do this? You know, you can't do this. You don't deserve to be saved. There's no justice here. So therefore, Nachshon ben Aminodav, he jumps into the Yamsuf, which means that he will do what Moshe Rabbeinu said, jump into the sea. So it's amazing that the act of that one man, where Nachshon ben Aminodav did not abandon God, stood for the entire Jewish people, that brings out the Jewish trait, we will not abandon you. You see? Because that's always what happens at the end of time. Now what is interesting to think about is the Holocaust. The Holocaust was irrational. How can God allow six million Jews to die. It doesn't even make sense, you know. And it's not just that they died. They died for no other reason that they, because they were Jewish, obviously. But what's irrational about it is, is the way they died. I mean, the Germans used every bit of the Jew, his body, right? The skin they made into lampshades, right? The fat of the Jew, of his body, they made into soap, Right? They took these bones and put it to ash and made it fertilizer. It's almost like the Jew was a cockroach, or he was completely used like a cow. Every part of the cow is used. But that's irrational. 
You know, you want to kill the guy, kill him, but what is this nonsense? So what God did is not only allowed the Germans to kill the Jews, what he allowed is the Germans to kill them in this manner, which is completely barbaric. It's irrational. You profess to love the Jews, yet they are killed and destroyed in a, mar- in a manner that even animals don't do. You know, animal kills and they eat. It doesn't do that and torture them and, and so on. In any case, so therefore the Holocaust was the beginning of the appearance of God as an irrational being in order that he wants the Jews to, to not abandon him. He wants the Jews to love him, right? He wants the Jews to stay with him, trust him, even though they are being slaughtered Right? And the whole thing is irrational. Why? Because in order for him to do the Anogas Ayichud, he himself, God, has to have, show justice, the Satan, right? And the whole Bezdin, that he is conforming to justice. Because the world runs through justice ultimately, you see. So this is what we see, you see. That in order for Anogas Ayichud to proceed, it is, which, which, is, which is the actions that God uses to save, to save the Jews, this itself needs justice. It needs justification. And in order to provide that justification, God has to have the Jews not abandon him. You see, even though he will come across as irrational or as absolutely incredulous, that's a very important concept. You see, and if we now understand something very important, what is that? <clears throat> that when God says, we are noich in achlas hayomim, in the end of days, right? He says, we are noich in ay hastir astir ponabiyamahu. I will conceal my face, right? And what that means is, I am going to not only conceal, I'm going to appear irrational. It's going to look like I support your enemies, that I aid and abet your enemies to destroy you. And therefore, it will be irrational. Now, we would say, well, maybe that's because of retribution or whatever. No, that is actually the premise that God uses to argue against the Satan. And therefore, I can activate the Anogas HaYichud. It's a completely different understanding. When God says, I'm going to conceal, which means not only... There's a double Russian, the double language, and I will surely conceal hastir astir, which means that not only will I not aid and abet religious people, but I'm going to aid and abet evil. That's why it's a double expression of concealment. So you're going to look at me and say, this is incredible. This doesn't make any sense, right? It's bad enough that you don't help, you know, charedim, people who are religious. That's bad enough but you actually are in the camp of the evildoers, right? Whether it be Goyim or tragically Jews, whatever. That's irrational. How could God be in their camp, right? Then why is, that's why he has a double language of I will conceal myself. So why is God saying I will appear to you irrational? Because I need your sticking to me, right? In order to justify to the court of the Satan, right, that you do deserve through justice, through the meat of din, you deserve to live. 
and therefore I can activate the Anagas HaYichud, which guarantees that you will survive. It's, what I'm doing is completely reversing the meaning. And we learn this, like I said, we learn this from the Akedah. And in many ways, it's amazing when you think about that. The Rizhina Rebbe, Rabbi Yisrael Merizhin, said two, two statements. And that really refers to this, although he doesn't say it directly. He says, in the end of time, you see, he says, the measure of difficulty that the Jews will have in the end of time, right before Mashiach comes, will be as great as the Akedah Hitzchok, as the Akedah. In other words, the reward that a Jew will get for sticking with God, right, will be as great as Avram Avinu by the Akedah. That's a remarkable statement. What does it mean? It means what I'm saying. Is that the situation or the test that will be before Mashiach comes will duplicate, will replicate the Akedah at the end of time where God appears irrational. And it will do that the same reason by Avram Avinu. Because God needs Avram Avinu to hold on to him and not abandon him and desert him in order to justify his usage of the Anagas HaYichud. Same idea. Because God is now using Anagas HaYichud to save the Jews in whatever mysterious way that is. But he's got to justify through judgment, through dinam, you see, which is the law of cause and effect. But the only argument that God can use is the argument, well, if they will not abandon me, even though I appear to them as irrational, then how can I abandon them? You see? And there is no, the Satan cannot answer that, because that's a true justification for God using the actions of Yichud, the actions that save the Jewish people. And he's right, the original, that's exactly what he says, that the reward that a Jew has for not abandoning God, for sticking with him, right? We don't even imagine what that is worth in today's time. I mean, I, I, I would say, although, you know, I don't know if you could say that, that it's almost worth being born at the end of time to get the reward of the Akedah that Avram Mivino got. Because the test circumstances is exactly the same as the Akedah. You see, where God appears irrational. And I pointed out the irrationality that not only does it seem that God uh, what do you call it, uh, has, uh, does not help support aid and abet good religion, but he looks like he's doing the opposite. Just take a look. The reformed, conservative, reconstructionist, intermarriage, assimilation. I mean, it's beyond belief what, what is happening. And God doesn't seem to be doing anything about it. On the contrary, he has given these people success, power over the religious, over the religion of Judaism itself. Let me tell you something. Judaism is disappearing. Yeah, it's, it's nice to sit in Lakewood or wherever you are, Flappers and so on, right? It's nice. But we don't realize Jews are disappearing. You know, it used to be that the problem with Judaism, right, is that Goyim, anti-Semites, kill Jews, pogroms, inquisitions, crusades, expulsions, 
and so on, right? Okay, so Jews die. They've always been dying. They're martyrs. But today it's different. Jews are not being killed. Jews are disappearing, right? I mean, when 70% of the Jewish people who are not Orthodox intermarry, 29%, almost one-third of people today who are not Orthodox were Orthodox. When you see the Erev Rav in Eretz Yisrael trying to destroy the Jewish character of Israel, where would Israel be without the Jewish character? When you see the rise of so much anti-Semitism, when you see the progressives, the liberals, right, and the Democratic Party promote uh, homosexuality, unbelievable depravity, morality, and even the genders, the, the, the vocabulary of gender has been incredibly corrupted, where you can't even say he or she or whatever. It's an insanity of what's going on. Where is God? Why is he allowing the world to do this? You see, because God is busy appearing as irrational because he needs the Jews, don't abandon me, no matter what I do. So therefore, when I appear to you as Anagas Ayyichud, I have now legal or judicial justification, you see, for you to survive in the future world. So remember, is the very mechanism that enables God to employ right, through justice itself. It's a twist. But that's the way it is. And the Akedah is the secret. Because you can ask yourself, why does God have to answer the Sutton? And what is the Sutton's claim? And the answer is that Sutton's claim is correct. You can only do something if it's just. You set up the whole universe that way. So then how could you save the Jewish people if they don't deserve it? And he's right. Justice doesn't demand that you, that you save them or you rehabilitate them or whatever. So therefore God needs an argument according to the din. And he has that. When he appears irrational and the Jews will not abandon him and therefore he says... They will not abandon me. If there are Jews that will not abandon me, then I will not abandon them. And therefore, just like they want to be with me, no matter how I appear, I want to be with them for eternity in the future world. You see? So that's the answer why there is an Akedah to provide God with a legal justification of why he can activate or operate the Anhogus HaYichad, which guarantees the Jews survival in the future world, and so on. That's why when we think about it, you have to think about this. Your actions of being loyal to God, yes, loyalty and devotion to God in today's age is one of the greatest mitzvahs that you can ever do. Why? Because it allows God to activate for you and for all the Jewish people. Think about that. That someday you will not only be rewarded for mitzvahs, but you will be rewarded because you are the ones responsible for the Jews to survive because you loved God, right? Completely devoted to Him and loyal. And that's what the meaning is. For your haftas Hashem and and you will love the Lord your God, and this means to remain loyal to Him, 
right? With everything that you possess and everything that you are. So that's the takeaway lesson. Don't give up the ship. And as strange as this circumstance is, where it looks like evil is completely victorious, right? That which I'm now showing you is necessary in order for God legally to activate the Anogas HaYichud. It's a very important concept, you see. And that's the answer, you know, in terms of to, to Gidon and so on. And that's why God will create an environment, right, where the Torah will be almost forgotten. You know, it won't be completely forgotten. But God will actually create an environment where the Torah will be almost forgotten, where he will aid and abet evil in order to allow to have a legal argument to save the Jewish people. So as they say, hang in there, because someday it will be over. And when it's over, right, you will be given a reward, right, because you provided God with the legal argument, you see, that he uses to counter the argument of the Sultan and all the nations of the world. Could you imagine what kind of reward that is? In any case, uh, this is, uh, you know, uh, the idea that I wanted to share. Any questions? Yes. <clears throat> so how long does it take for Hashem to um, have enough of a case against the Tatad? Because... I mean, we have been in darkness for a while now, and uh, as you said, not all the Jews need to pull through. Only some of them need to pull through for God, to yeah. so that He has a case. Uh, so, how long? How much longer does He need for us to pull through so that He could? You know what I mean? That's a very good question, and the answer is unknown, because we don't know the measuring stick. We don't know the deficiencies that God that the Jews have created, right, that would require this amount of loyalty to God. We don't know. Only God, obviously, knows exactly how much devotion he needs to provide that legal justification in the argument with the Sutton. But the main thing is that we need it. He needs it. So in a certain sense, we give him the power to save us, which is really amazing when you think about that, you see, that we need to give him the power. Of course, he doesn't need our power. But remember, the critical thing is that he created this universe, creation, using the principle of justice, din. And therefore, that's his decision. But once he made that decision because of Namdik Sufa, bread of shame, then we need to give him the power. You see? And that's really what we do. But we don't really know how much. You know, all we know is that we have to do whatever we can. In, what, in whatever way we can. You know, in other words, what I would suggest, take on something. You know, even if a person commits a virus, right? But that doesn't mean you have to give up the ship. Take on a mitzvah and do it in order to allow God to use that argument. Take on something. And there are people that take on special mitzvahs. And through that mitzvah, they dedicate, right, their loyalty, devotion, and love of God. 
and God will use that. You see, doesn't I'm not saying it doesn't mean that you have to be a tzaddik gomor. No, but all you need is one mitzvah, technically or theoretically, to show that devotion. Take on something. Yes. So, I would have thought the devotion would have been fighting the satan within us, the evil inclination within us. <clears throat> that when bad things do come our way, uh, fighting it off and putting bitachon as your number one, you know, um, yeah. focus, and and then having total trust in Hashem and just allowing it, not fighting it, not allowing, not falling into the satan's trap okay. of negative thoughts. Like I would yeah, have thought through that that would have been uh, enough for Hashem to show the Satan, you see, you brought them this, even in their personal life, and they're still holding on to me. No, that is, exactly. That is the way to do it, exactly. That even though we have no idea what God is doing, like I said, He seems to be aiding and abetting evil and giving them all the success and the power, right? The fact that you do mitzvahs, right, in that situation is equal to the Avroma Vinu and the Akeda. That's what it shows. And who knows what the reward is for doing the Akeda? We don't know. So, and like I said, in a certain sense, you know, maybe it's luck to live in this generation, even though it is so difficult to remain religious, because the reward of somebody who can remain religious is infinite. We don't even know what the reward is. You see? In that sense. Now, you wanted to, to mention Purim Katan. How is it just as much as a, you know, a special day, a <coughs> holy day, since we're, it's tomorrow, tonight and tomorrow? What's the holiness about it? Well, time is very important in Judaism. Because what happens is, is that, I mean, I'm going to speak about it, obviously, in, in a month, which is Purim, you know. But the time is very important, because what happens is that whatever spiritual achievement the Jews did do reasserts itself or reintroduces itself on that date itself, you see. And that enables us to take advantage of the spiritual um, power that is available on that day, and we do that by doing the mitzvahs, you see, in this case, of Purim. <coughs> so even though it's not Purim halachically, but it is Purim date-wise, you see. So date-wise, there is a shefa. A shefa means there is a, uh, a resurgence of power or spiritual energy and force that does come down on this day. So you could take advantage of it. In other words, halachically, there's nothing really to do, except maybe not say tachnon, you see. But in terms of energy, the spiritual energy, that is present on that day, you see. So if you can replicate what happened on Purim, basically, where they reaccepted the love of the, they reaccepted the, the, uh, the Torah Shabbat Peh, I should say Torah, yeah, Torah Shabbat Peh, you see, and they vowed to keep it this time because of love, not fear, which I, will talk, I talk about on Purim. So, like I say, even if halachically, 
There's no mitzvahs to do on Purim cotton. But there is a spiritual energy by virtue of the date, which is very important. Because the, 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 when does the divine energies come down? It's based on the calendar, you see. So it does happen on this day. But the main energy, of course, will happen on Purim itself, which is the second Adho. So it's like a portal, right? Oh, uh, so, yeah, I could look at it that way, yes. It's a smaller portal, but a portal nonetheless. So, so these portals, they're in the Sefirot, and in specific days, the Sefirot's allowed to, like, open up to allow that Shefa come down? Yes, right. Right. And they don't have to be aligned or anything, like cause, because now it's not it's not perfectly aligned because Mashiach and Yosef's not here and the Pekidah didn't happen. It doesn't matter because at no. one point in time it was aligned. So then, it's yeah, it was aligned in those days. Sure, that's what that's what allowed the energies to come in because of the, the actions of the Jews to reaccept the Torah. Sure. So all that does is every when the time recycles then the energies reawaken and come down. That's the power of, a, uh, of the dating system in Judaism. You see. So I wanted to go back to something that you said last week, um, how um, Mashiach Ben Yosef is now two people. Yes. How it was um, Moshe and Aharon, how Moshe is the one who receives information, and Aharon's like the, the mouthpiece um, to lay it over to Amisael. Well, he's the transmitter. Because I mentioned that Mashiach ben Yosef is unique because he's the source of the Orishim. And therefore, you have a source, which was Moshe, right? And then you have a transmitter, the one who is the bridge who conveys the ore, right, to the people itself. So you really need two different types of people, you see. So since they're both equal, and they were, I mentioned, that Moshe and Aaron are equal in holiness, but not in prophecy, because Moshe had to be the higher prophet, because he had to receive the Torah through the illumination of prophecy, which was the greatest uh, illumination or clarity ever known. So he had to be the greater prophet. But in terms of Kedusha, holiness, righteousness, they were equal. And Rashi says that, which is incredible when you think about that. There were people equal to Moshe Rabbeinu in righteousness, but not in prophecy. But since Moshe Rabbeinu really is the man who is the candidate for Mashiach ben Yosef, then Aaron HaKoyen, which was his equal in righteousness, right? And he clearly shared the function of Moshe. He was one of the people that is responsible for the Torah going to the Jewish people. You know, he wasn't just a bystander or just happened to be the brother of Moshe, no. He actually participated with Moshe Rabbeinu in giving the Torah to the Jewish people. The only thing, he wasn't the source, but he clearly was part of the, the uh, what do you call, delivery system, the conveyance of the Torah itself. 
you see? So if that necessitated the Mashiach ben Yosef, then Aaron is the same thing. Most people don't realize that. They don't think of Aaron in that sense. But when you put all the numbers together in the equation, right, then one side equals the other. It's just that as the giver of the Torah, Moshe was the source and Aaron was the transmitter. But it's one function to get the Torah from God to the Jewish people. That's the function, right? So if so, they were both instrumental in that way, just that each one had a different job, you see. So that's so why now, I say. If there's a Mashiach and Yosef that is alive in every generation and just it matters about the, the merit of the generation, so that yes. means that there's two Mashiach and Yosefs alive in every generation or just the one, the rece- the, the one who, who received it from Hashem? No, it would mean that there has to be two. Because it's going to be a replication. You see. Because I mentioned that once you need a source, then there's a source and then there is a transmitter. Or somebody okay, who... so I have a question. Let's say we said, we said Rabbi Akiva was a, a Meshach and Yosef in his time, and Ramchal in his time. So who was the Aharon of their time? We don't know. We don't but know. in any case, <clears throat> if you take a look, there are certain sukkim that allude to this. One of them is, for instance, in Halel. How many people is it talking about? Two. Right? The dough will arise from the dust. Right? From the garbage. So the dough and the evyoin are really the two Mashiachim. Now some people learn that one is Mashiach ben David and the other is Mashiach ben Yosef. Fine. But we now could take a look and say, well, maybe those psukim also refer to the Mashiach ben Yosef. Now, in, in, in Oz Yoshia, right, it says, And the Moshiach, the saviors, will arise in the mountain of Zion. To judge, right, the mountain of Esav. Well, Moshiach is plural, isn't it? Right? And the one who really judges Esau, right, and really contends with him and destroys him, if you think about that, is Mashiach ben Yosef. Yet he uses the word Mashiach. Now, isn't that interesting? Right? See, both people don't realize that, or they're not aware of it or whatever. But that seems to be clearly referring to Mashiach, saviors, two people, to judge the mountain of Esau. And we know that the one who judges the Mount of Esau really is Mashiach ben Yosef, because that's his job, you know, is the horns of the bull, the Kani Ra'im, right? Of course, Mashiach ben David also judges, right? But he does it to the entire world, not just to Esau. But the one who, like it says in the Pesach, for how you base Yaakov the Eish, and the house of Jacob will be for a fire, and the house of Joseph will be a lehovah, will be a flame. And therefore, and therefore the house of Esau will be straw, stubble. So who's that referring to? It is Yaakov and Yosef that destroy 
Esav. You see? So take a look. The Sukkim referred to two people, not one. Isn't that interesting? Fascinating. Fascinating. Yeah. But yeah, look, I, I'm about, just telling you I'm just telling you what it says. I'm not making this up. Does the Ramchal refer to that in, in the Ma'amar HaGeulah? Does he refer to the uh, Mashiach? No. Uh, Ramchal only refers to the two Mashiachim. He always talks about three individuals. Mashiach ben David, Mashiach ben Yosef, and Moshe Rabbeinu. Right. Those are the three major figures in the redemption process. You see. Look, nobody expected Aaron to be part of the giver of the Torah, right? The Roshim told Moshe, you take them out, right? Yet, apparently, there was a component for a second person to be sort of like an assist because you've got to get the Torah to the people, right? And apparently, you need two people, especially since Moshe Rabbeinu stuttered which obviously we begin to see was on purpose to allow Aaron to uh, be the person, you see. But in any case, um, there, there seemed to be, uh, like I, uh, I showed the Psukim, uh, the, the uh, two Mashiach ben Yosefs. Or it's really one concept of ben Yosef that seemed to be served by two individuals. Yeah. 